aware of us launching season two on the holiest of days, St. Valentine's Day, I would like to commence with a dramatic reading of the most romantic love song ever written. Smack that by Akon. Smack that all on the floor. Smack that. Give me some more. <laughs> Welcome to Pros Before Hoes season two, the podcast where we talk about what we're drinking, thinking and reading. Hi, Elle. You knew what you were doing, and you did it anyway, and you enjoyed it all the more, knowing I would hate it. Happy um, Valentine's Day. What are, you, what are you drinking this week, Al? I'm having lemon squash and soda water, because I feel very under the weather and tired. Elle has used her forfeit of not having alcohol, like when I had um, seed lip. I am drinking a delicious scotch that your dad bought me for Christmas. Thanks, Papa. Thank you, Richard. Um, it's a Glenlivet Founders Reserve, um, which is, well, we'll tell you how it is at the end of the podcast. <laughs> Spoiler, it's lovely. You can't go wrong with you a nice Glenlivet. I feel very um, sophisticated because I'm actually having it, not with ice, but with whiskey stones. I did wonder what they were. <laughs> Just the giant black lumps of rock in my well, drink. Well, no, from over there, but it looked like you put a tea bag in it. <laughs> Um, I love that you told me this week that Ed Gamble and I started drinking whiskey for the same reason, in that we watched Mad Men and we thought it looked cool. And I think that just goes to show that we're meant to be best friends forever. What have you been up to this last week? I've been receiving things in the mail from friends. I don't know why I said it like that. Basically, <laughs> one of... They are letters made from cutouts <laughs> of magazines and on them, ransom notes. <laughs> why do you think I'm so tired? <laughs> Elle has been constantly responding to ransom notes over the last week and they won't tell us what they've taken. It's very stressful. One of my friends, a friend from uni, Mike, who you always ended up talking to at parties. We did always end up (laughs) talking at parties. He sent me some, he sent me a letter in the post and enclosed in lots of like individual little baggies, which he'd um, labelled. Thus far, this is sounding very suspicious. (laughs) I know, I'm doing that deliberately. But, and he's labelled them all and and each is a different herb. And he sent me so fucking many and some tomato seeds. So I've got like a plethora to come springtime. Grow another tomato plant that dies in the winter. (laughs) We looked into that. We've been talking about that tomato plant because it didn't make sense why it didn't do well. And we've come to the conclusion that it was shitty London air for that breed. It was a moneymaker. So also read into that what you will. But basically this one which is called a tiny Tim, is hopefully going to work out a little better and I'm going to plant it at the end of Feb and grow it from, like, a seed as opposed to the other one, which was, like, a plant. It was a fruitless endeavour. A fruitless endeavour. Yeah, it's Valentine's Day. Whenever I think of Valentine's Day, I think of a conversation I had with a guy I very briefly dated where we were talking about what the most romantic thing we'd ever done was for another person. And his was that he stalked his ex-girlfriend's internet history. This is already going... However this ends up, and I think I can see how this is going to pan out, there's issues there, aren't there? I mean, really, that's the issue. He stalked his ex's internet history to buy her a necklace that she'd been looking at online. What else has he been doing? That's my question. I know. So I thought, wow, I can beat that by purely not being an insane person <laughs> my gift to everybody i date is that i don't stalk their internet history <laughs> oh god also that's just lazy like you're dating them so you should be able to pick up on these cultural references of capitalism 
by just being around them. You shouldn't have to be go like fucking creepy detective. No, you can literally just look over their shoulder when they're stalking Instagram and you'll see what they're getting targeted ads for. And that's probably what they've been looking at online. <laughs> Surveillance <laughs> capitalism. Great for romance. Yeah, the thing with targeted advertising, right? I don't like that all my data is being harvested at all. Mm-hmm. And on a bigger level, really against that. But actually, on a smaller level, I've bought loads of stuff I really like from targeted ads. Yeah. I ain't really got a problem with that. I've got a problem with the... I've bought some very useful stuff. Sometimes I'll need something and I'll just, like, whisper into my phone, like, blender, mover, <laughs> food processor, and then just see what it serves me up and then make my decisions based on that. A and then... hybrid of all those things in one. Yeah, and then I also have very bad impulse control. So sometimes I buy really stupid things I don't need. Case in point, I bought a pair of underwear from New York for £50, which I'm definitely going to have to play tax on when they come in. <sighs> That's so savage. All because of Instagram advertising. Didn't really kick in until the money got taken out of my bank account. And they are plain jersey underwear. So. That's what's upsetting. That it is. It's not even kinky. It's just no boring. Very comfy. Very comfy. My friend got a really, really beautiful new bike. But had to pay import tax because of Brexit. Oh. Oh, God. It's not something I'd really thought about before. And now it's just another thing to add to the list of bad things that have happened because of that. He had to pay like 50 quid. No, he had to pay more. I think it was like 100. Or maybe even 150. My God. I'm spiralling. I bet he was as well after he got that bill. Yeah, it's stressful. It is gorgeous though, so it's fine. We just don't talk about that anymore. (laughs) Apart from when I bring it up on the podcast. I've been spending my week thinking of a million dollar idea based on so we did dry january didn't we we did which was fine but i i mean it's a con i didn't feel any better no and i would love to say that i saved money but obviously i just spent my money on other things (laughs) but also let's be frank we only did it because pubs aren't open and because it was the easiest time to do it yeah no 100 percent. i would never have the self-control to do dry january when i was in a pub not even like self-control just like just why? Like, why? Why would you do that if you can go to the pub with your friends? Just why? Yeah. You only live once. Why are you depriving yourself? Yeah. Mind you, people did say that to me. They were like, why are you doing it in January in a lockdown? Like, you need some joy. And I'm not going to lie, there are a few Friday nights where I felt really crap. And I can imagine that if two hours previously I'd had a few glasses of wine, that wouldn't have happened. But hey... It's fine. It's good to sit with your suffering. <laughs> but I've been working. So last month we did dry January. This month I'm doing a yoga challenge. I'm becoming a new and exciting and bendy person in 2021, <laughs> I've decided. A bendy boy. Um, I and feel I'm... like you're bending the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's early days. Um, and truly, I'm starting from a base point of zero flexibility. So, But yeah, I've been doing yoga with Adrienne's challenge that she did in January. I'm just doing it a month late now that it's trendy and vintage. For somebody who, like, struggles uh, or does a lot of strength training, like, I really find it difficult. Low-key flex. Low-key flex. Literally. Literally a flex. Absolutely ripped. I find it really frustrating how difficult I find yoga. Because I'm like, yeah, sure, can deadlift, squat, whatever. And then it's like, okay, now just lie on your back. And I'm there for, like, three minutes. I'm like, why does this hurt? (laughs) I'm so confused. Like, I struggle to sit with my legs crossed. Yeah, I remember seeing that for the first time and... Being genuinely troubled by it you know it's pain from minute one for me she thinks like adrian thinks she's easing you in with that first three minutes but honestly that is the most uncomfortable for me but yeah i was thinking it kind of reminded me like 
the way that you require this kind of secret strength for yoga reminded me a lot of the Kama Sutra. And this is relevant to Valentine's Day. <laughs> but this is my million dollar idea. Okay. Kama Sutra Yoga. I think that exists. Does it? I'm pretty sure that exists. But I just think, I think it's a brilliant idea. Like, if you've ever tried any of the Kama Sutra poses, for comic effect or, bless you, an attempt <laughs> at genuine sexual pleasure, then I think you'll find it's probably similarly challenging. I can imagine the lawnmower requires similar core strength to, I don't know, dolphin pose. <laughs> which of those is Kama Sutra? Yeah, I'll exactly. you to decide. I was just about to say, like, which is worse. But I just think, you know, I think there's a real market here to hit two birds with one stone, learn yoga, and also get bendy for your next bang. I'm pretty sure that there are books out there. Okay, but what about classes? Because books is one oh, thing. Oh, definitely classes. On like a little commune and yurts. <laughs> of course. It does, yeah, it would have to be 100%. in a yurt. 100%. It would have to be in a yurt. Well, you know what, I'm going to have to do some research. You know what, this... I'll buy you a lesson. And don't you worry about it, hun. <laughs> will you be doing it with me? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. I'm just saying. If that doesn't exist already or isn't mainstream, there's a gap in the market. Can you go to that class on your own? Do you think they'd pair you up with someone else who's gone there on their I'm own? I'm not going to lie. In my mind, you're not having sex with the person while no, doing the yoga. No, you're not having sex, but... You are merely assuming position and holding it. Because if you yeah, can hold it... Yeah, but you're going to need someone... Minimum two people are required. You can do it in pairs. Just keep your clothes on. If anybody who can actually do yoga or any of the poses from the Kama Sutra book want to get in on me with this, <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> Oh God. Pyramid scheme, literally. <laughs> Might regret that. What else have we been doing this week? We've been watching celebs go dating every night. <laughs> we every... love consistency. If you didn't know, there is basically a fake Love Island on at the moment. Where... But it's not like Love Island because they're not all equal. <laughs> no, the celebrities are better than well, us. Well, they get treated a lot better, don't they? It's quite savage because they get to essentially... Like, obviously in Love Island, if you... We need to describe what celebs go dating the mansion is. You can describe it. I feel like you're... They've taken a number of celebrities, celebrities in inverted commas, and put them in a house. But because it's COVID, they've then got all the lay people. (laughs) Actually, though, I'm pretty sure that they've taken all the normal inverted commas people from Instagram. Yeah, they've taken, like, very small-scale micro-influencers. Oh, so it's the people that would go on Love Island are the normal people in Celebs Go Dating. Yeah. And so they've taken them in, and they also live in the house. So, and it's, oh my God, the interior of this mansion in Surrey is grotesque. It's disgusting. I think it's harder to make something look that ugly than it is just to make it look fine. Yeah. Oh God. They definitely actively ruined that mansion. Yeah. It looks like Big Brother circa like the 90s. It's, and I never even watched Big Brother. The celebrities date... The people, but as soon as it's not working out anymore, then you just get all these shots of the non-celebrities just leaving through the front door with their awkward little suitcases. It reminds me of that scene in Pitch Perfect where she has to drag the chair, but the non-celebrities have to like drag their suitcase across like gravel <laughs> when they get kicked out because none of the celebrities fancy them. Oh dear. Yeah, it's tragic, but it's what we need right now yeah i just need from nine to ten every evening for my brain to melt it's just nice knowing that whatever happens in your day nothing <laughs> that will always happen at nine on reliable so some any kind of stability at the moment is welcome <laughs> even if it's just trash tv i'm intrigued to see whether they'll do valentine's day in the mansion because i don't think they're in it like at the moment it's not like live or anything but obviously it will be shown on air 
on Valentine's Day. And I reckon there's potential there for some fun. Do you even like Valentine's Day, actually? I I do. I feel quite torn about it because on the one hand, you know, most of me wants to be like, ugh, stupid holiday made up by capitalism, tell people you love them every day. Then the other part of me is pathetic and a real sap and I just want people to buy me chocolate and yeah (laughs) guess if I like it or not this isn't going to be very good because you already know the answer you do like valentine's day I love valentine's day because I love an occasion we do love an occasion and I just capitalist thing is true but it doesn't have to be about buying things I'm gonna go really like now but it's like christmas it's not about the buying things. Like, it has become... And you now do loads of those things, but it's not about those things. And you can have just as nice a Valentine's because someone made you a card and wrote something nice in it than if they also bought you flowers. I do love flowers. And bought you chocolates. I also like chocolates, but more flowers. I just really like it. She's dropping hints, boys. <laughs> <laughs> there better be flowers on that doorstep Make from it. all of Elle's admirers <laughs> come Valentine's Day otherwise. You're going to be in trouble. Make an orderly... Oh, no, I was going to say make an orderly queue, but it wouldn't be um, sensible because you'd be going all the way down the street and then it would hit the Sainsbury's queue. Yeah. And it's going to get a bit chaotic. So, yeah, just leave them... Leave them in a nice pile, but try and make it not look like Princess Diana's just died. I want, like, flowers out the door. Really? You think there are going to be a lot of flowers, don't you? Princess Diana, not just anyone. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking... A national icon. I don't want it to look like a grave. Yeah, if you could arrange them in a giant heart. Oh no, that's really t- so. This Elle is the other love thing. That. I love Valentine's Day, but unsurprisingly, I'm very picky. This is what I think is acceptable, and what is not. Big teddy bears holding hearts saying "I love you" burn in hell forever. Cards with like really tacky writing, and it's just all generic. No, thank you. Basically, if it's not personal, I hate it. If it's lazy, I hate it. I just think it's a nice opportunity to do a little extra something something for the people you like. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with you. I do agree with you. I think on the inside, I'm just gooey. And if somebody hits the right note, I'll be putty. Putty in their hands. <laughs> Absolutely. Just one giant melt. But also, I like having chill Valentine's Days, regardless of my I just think status. it should be a nice yeah. day slash evening. I'd always rather stay in, cook something together poor yeah. person having to eat my cooking <laughs> i'm not even engaging with that because she's just putting the fishing rod out there she already <laughs> knows how i feel about her cooking yeah on actual valentine's day i don't want to be outside because yeah. it's just gonna be too it's not about what it's really about it's all a bit like pretense yeah um so the weekend either before or after depending on what day it falls on yeah I think it's nice to go out. I think it's also good if you're not, like, I'm not, for somebody who talks a lot, I'm not always very good at expressing how I feel about things. So it's nice to have a vehicle through which I can do that for people. Mm. To be like, I really like you. (laughs) Here's some paper to confirm that. And a stupid gift I made. But yeah, on general, it's a thumbs up for me on Valentine's Day, but anything too generic in the bin. Generic? Yeah, because it's just like, why did you bother? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Flowers are not too generic. No, chocolates no, 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 are no. not too generic. No, 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 These are all nice little additions. I think it comes down to the card. Yeah. A lot of it comes down to the card. And also, it just comes down to, like, thinking about who's receiving yeah. it. Yeah, I think it's just you have to have thought about what that person would like. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be what everyone says it has to be. But it, I think it's nice to celebrate it. I have a lot of fun with Valentine's Day gifts. I'm not going to lie. 
I've once gotten somebody a giant marshmallow with their face on it. And your dog. And my dog, because he doesn't love my dog. I, I tend to I tend to make gifts for Valentine's Day, which sounds really tragic. Um, like a craft yeah. aunt. No, that's nice. Yeah. I like that. Can't wait to see what I get. Yeah, I know. Are you excited? I am. This week, for judging a book by its cover, I've picked a book, Ocean Vong's On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous. Ella's going to try and figure out what it's all about based on the cover alone. What do you think, Elle? Hit me with your best shot. So, the cover is a midnight blue background with little sparkly things and then some orange autumn leaves. Right, okay, so autumn leaves is endings, points to the seasons, cyclical nature of life and all that jazz. So yeah, like the the beauty of an ending and that sort of like melancholy sort of feeling of that time of year. Then the backdrop, is that a shooting star? Let's say that's a shooting star. The backdrop um, I'm viewing as the night sky with lots of shining stars, which when you look at stars, you're looking at the past in a way because the light is reaching you after the star has died. That kind of vibe. So we've got autumn leaves and stars, the past, endings, death. On Earth, we're briefly gorgeous, fits into all of that sort of transitory nature of life and its brilliance. Maybe like memoir-ish vibes, a collection of little stories from a life or different lives. Death. Death is definitely going to feature quite a <laughs> lot in it. I feel like death does. So what you're getting from this beautiful front cover of A Night Sky and Autumn Leaves is death. <laughs> well, the passing of time. The passing of time and I think a collection of memories or stories about the nature of what life is. Okay. You've certainly picked up some key themes there. So, um, Ocean Vuong's book, it's On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous. I mean, this is, I think, one of my favourite book covers of last year. I love this book cover. And actually, I really love this title. I think it's very rare that the title of a book kind of hits you in the way that that this one did. But something about On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous, really. Yeah, I like that title. It's a really good title. It's both specific and vague. Yeah. So the the book is essentially an exploration of identity, family and sexuality cast against the backdrop of the American Midwest and the opioid crisis. Um, It's one long letter from a son to his mother who can't read. The narrator, Little Dog, uh, explores his relationship with a young man that he meets while doing farming work to help support his mother and his grandmother. And the letter delves not only into Little Dog's discovery of his sexuality, but into a history kind of in Vietnam from before he was even born and the lasting effects of war on people and relationship. Ocean is, this is his debut novel, he's actually a poet by trade Um, and there's a really wonderful kind of rhythm and lyricism to the way that he writes. He has a way of building up relationships really quickly and intensely and then just slowly breaking them down um, and kind of breaking them open in this really devastating way through death, through estrangement, through war and it all kind of ties in to kind of culminate his family history and his position in, in the world based on this history and based on how he interacts with with the world around him, kind of almost through the experiences of his mother and his grandmother. And yeah, I think it's really interesting because actually, you know, it's a fact that our trauma is passed down through generations and that it becomes part of our genetic code. And I think that's really interesting the way in which that kind of subtly informs, I mean, that fact is never explicitly stated, but it, it's really clear how trauma can be passed through generations. It can mm-hmm. impact 
you as a person, even if it's not directly happened to you. And there's a real intensity to the plot, which kind of spans decades, but feels incredibly immediate. And I think that in part is his choice for the entire book to be written as a letter. Even though it doesn't really feel like a letter, it's very kind of prosaic. Is it a bit memoir So it is based on Ocean's life, but it's not an autobiography or a memoir. Okay, it's but like a fictionalized version of events, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he he's spoken to the fact that it's semi autobiographical of his own family's history, his mother kind of moving over from Vietnam and trying to start afresh in America. And I think it's interesting the way that kind of Vietnam and America are compared mm, and kind of a lot to p- unpick there. A lot to unpick there. And, you know, I think America is seen as this really hopeful thing and then it kind of becomes a bit desolate and, you know, almost like a red herring. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of this place of safety actually becomes a war zone in its own right for for the family but yeah I think it's a really interesting take on how the history of people we form relationships with informs our own identity and the kind of way that we navigate the world is it written so it's all a letter yeah but you said it's not like a typical letter is it what um is it first person narrative like what how yeah so it's written first person narrative through the eyes of yeah little dog you don't ever know his his actual name. Okay. Um, yeah, it doesn't really feel... You feel very much like he's addressing his mother, but it doesn't... I think if it read too much like a letter, it would become quite exhausting. Yeah. But it is kind of... It goes off in tangents, but it mm-hmm. always comes back to this idea of he's revealing these things about himself that he's learnt and kind of speaking to his mother, knowing that his mother will never read the letter because she can't read. Mm. You know, so it's almost... it's. You get the impression it's therapeutic mm-hmm. for the narrator. And I'm reading the blurb currently. He's in his late 20s, which I think is an interesting time to reflect on family and history and yeah. what came before you and how it's sort of had a big impact on well, your life. I think that's when you start to not just... Obviously, we forge relationships throughout our life, but as you reach your late 20s, you start to think about other relationships kind of creating relationships from scratch bringing people into the world that you might form relationships with and how your identity might imprint on them and might impact them as Mm -hmm. time moves forward so I do I think it's an interesting time for reflection and I mean the way that Ocean writes you can tell he's a poet there's this really beautiful intensity to the way that he writes that is it's very striking and it's very heartbreaking and it's very tender it's talking about everything I expected it to but maybe not in not maybe not in the setting or the context that I thought it would. Yeah. So that's interesting. There's a lot of exploration of the different ways that we can lose people. Ooh. Yeah. Like like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. And actually, a, another book that I just finished. Um, and this is. It's been the talk of the town. <laughs> Everybody in publishing has been really... There was actually a running joke that in publishing, we quite often have the books we're reading in our email signatures because we're wanky like that. And honestly, everybody I emailed for a good two weeks towards the mid-end of January had Luster by Raymond Lani as their kind of what I'm reading right now. <laughs> and I tried to not read any reviews or anything because I really wanted to come at it with, um, with fresh eyes. But boy, oh boy. Did it live up to hype? <laughs> Buckle up, kids. Buckle up, kids. I really... What I didn't expect from this book was for it to be so funny. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah, it's... Well, I mean, it's not so funny. Like, the way that Lilani writes is... It's so cold, it almost hurts. Like, it is whip-smart. 
by mm-hmm. whip sharp even <laughs> oh, whip smart whip smart <laughs> no it's whip sharp it is like yeah it's very striking it's very blunt um yeah so the book centers on a young black woman Edie's relationship with an older suburban white man in a supposed open marriage the plot follows Edie as she gets further entangled with this man his wife and their adopted black daughter um and i'm gonna read a section of it just to give an impression of the tone in case you haven't already succumbed to the hype and read it i feel like everybody might have already read it but (laughs) this really this is at the very start of the book and it kind of it's a really good introduction into how yeah, how sharp Lani's writing is and, yeah, the kind of humour that she gets across really, really well. By the time we set our first real date, I would have done anything. He wanted to go to Six Flags. We decide to go on a Tuesday. When he rolls up in his white Volvo, I have only made it to the part of my pre-date routine where I try to find the most appropriate laugh. I put on three dresses before I find the right one. I tie up my braids and line my eyes. There are dishes in the sink and a pervasive salmon smell in the apartment and I don't want him to think that it has anything to do with me. I put on a complex pair of underwear that is not so much underwear as a bundle of string and I stand before the mirror. I think to myself, you are a desirable woman. You are not a dozen gerbils in a skin casing. (laughs) I really, really enjoyed that. Um, Mainly because I always go around being like, I'm just three dollars in a trench coat. Um, But yeah, Lalani, she really portrays millennial culture and its kind of obscurities and flaws in a way that feels quite natural. A lot of the time when authors engage with social media and anything in that sphere, I find it feels quite like contrite and forced. Mm. Um, But she weaves modern reality through really well in a way that doesn't kind of pull you out of the story, but it feels more immediate and yeah, like it flows. That's good. Because I always think um, talking about social media or even texting and emails mm. like i always like it when they're in a book because i'm like oh different multimedia <laughs> <laughs> but like often it is a bit cliche a bit like when um people try and write about drugs yeah and it's just like oh <laughs> and you just like cringe but then the other side of that is that when it's done well it's like ah. it's immersive all of yeah. a sudden you feel a lot more connected to the For story because sure. obviously those are huge parts of like texting and social media yeah huge parts of our life but i i find that often it pulls you out of the story you know yeah i think it, i think if it's not if it doesn't go well it does that yeah but um luster is i mean it's a pretty brutal look at seeking intimacy in the 21st century and kind of living in this violent and unforgivable cross-section between race class and gender Obviously, um, Edie is a young black woman in New York, kind of engaging with this suburban family from New Jersey. And there's a lot of contrast to be drawn there, but also Mm -hmm. kind of the way that her identity, how she develops it and the kind of things that she learns about herself through that kind of relationship. um, It's really uncomfortable, but in a way that teases out the kind of small and like vital details in her relationships and her choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like she doesn't have an easy ride. She's got IBS. She struggles to make friends of her own admission. Um, her romances often turn violent and her mother committed suicide, but there's like no self-pity in the way that she writes. Like her suffering is stated as a matter of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I like it's, that. yeah, I think it's her own ambivalence towards it that really brings to light the kind of structural inequalities behind a lot of what she's had to go through. Mm-hmm. And they really highlight it and show that these things often, you know, for that to kind of be part of the course for somebody and for them to not acknowledge it being like yeah. extraordinary trauma yeah I think. makes it more makes it obvious more obvious to an outsider reading about it sometimes. yeah it's like it's a real mastery of kind of a microcosm of a social ecosystem that people navigate and kind of how we should understand it but yeah there's no forced redemption arc either which i like like life just happens mm. it just keeps moving this is a snapshot of somebody's 
yeah, of a time in I, somebody's I really life. Like that. I really like and that. And things are learnt, things are unlearned, things happen, things go wrong, things go right. Like, yeah, yeah. it really feels like gen- like a genuine piece of writing. But it was it was actually interesting reading On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous and Luster like back to back because they explore quite a few of the similar of similar themes. Mm-hmm. So with Luster as well, she talks a lot about her mother. Um, and kind of her her father actually was also in a war, was in the, Viet- the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of how these relationships with her with her parents have kind of fed into her experiences and her understanding of the world around her and the things that she's been brought up with. So they kind of both tackle it, but in really different ways, mm-hmm. you know, it's good. It sounds good. I mean, it, you can get through it pretty quickly. It's not super long and it's, I'm not going to say it's an easy read, but it's, it's a you know yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not going to spend ages agonizing over sentences there's a real craft to to the way that Lilani writes sentences but it's not trying to be too much or you know over the top yeah it doesn't make it difficult both these books i think we like to think we are our own people and i always find it interesting when writers force us to reckon with that and kind of reckon with the way that we form our own identities and both ocean vong and raven Lilani have done that incredibly well in their in their first books i'm excited are they both debuts they're both debuts so i'm oh. excited for more that is exciting. What have you been reading recently? So, not that recent, but over Christmas. But we've been away. Mm-hmm. So recent for you guys. Actually, I'm going to talk about two books. And there's a, there's a theme. Not deliberately, <laughs> but there's a theme. We love a theme. So, first up, I'll talk about The Testament of Gideon Mack by James Robertson. This one hit you hard, didn't it? You which were... is, just let it be known, one of the best books ever. It's such a good story, but it just lingers with you. It's just so good. Thank you, mother. Thank you, father. I literally grew up with this. I remember just seeing this cover, which it's got like a tree and there's a little hill and there's a um, minister and he's standing next to a depiction of the devil. And this cover, like I just remember seeing it in the house growing up. And I remember my parents both loving it. It was only until a few months ago that I was like, you know what, I'm going to read it. The time hath cometh. If not, why not? Yeah, and I don't know why it took me so long. Oh, look, look at that. Longlisted for the Man Booker Prize in 2006. They knew what they were talking about. Apart from it didn't win. I can't remember who won in 2006. I was about to be like, were we alive then? We were were definitely alive in 2006. We were well into life. We were 10 slash 11. First beginning to feel its aches and pains. (laughs) We were becoming conscious. But essentially, it's about a Presbyterian minister in a northeast Scottish coastal town who doesn't believe in God and meets the devil. Love it. So, like, honestly, from that, aren't you just hooked? Yeah, that sounds really good. I want to read that. It's so fucking good. And it unpicks... It sort of looks into the dynamics and politics of a sort of small town and the changes that happen throughout sort of history. So it's set like now, mm-hmm. but sort of talks a lot about the history of the place and the landscape. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the dynamics of a small town, the dynamics of the interpersonal relationships, him and his family, his father was a minister... And then the structure of it is that you've got the prologue and the epilogue, but the the middle is the testament of Gideon Mack, which is his story told from a first-person perspective. But in the prologue, basically someone approaching a publisher being like, I've read this crazy 
yeah tale like okay. it needs to be published yeah and then the epilogue picks that back up yeah i've never seen an epilogue used more perfectly in a book it changes your whole perception so what kind of like what kind of genre would you put this in i have no idea <laughs> yeah i was gonna say because it's i have absolutely no idea i find it very interesting just good. <laughs> that good it book. was that it was long listed for the man booker prize purely just because the cover looks quite mass market no 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 no, no. not at all that's really interesting i really want to read this that was 2006 though so i feel like mass market in 2006 yeah, that's was true. Diff- Do you know what I mean? What we now think is mass market. Would have been like yeah. word art. <laughs> exactly. Obviously, it's not that long ago, but it's What's the kind of pace of it? Like, is it quite jaunty or is it quite introspective? No, very introspective. Okay. It follows his whole life from his childhood in the manse, mm-hmm. which is where he lives as a minister and where yeah. he grew up with his father and his mother and goes from that through university to meeting his wife, falling in, like, all of this his yeah. whole life essentially and it talks about what belief means what faith means insanity yeah i think i read one review that said it was as much about mental health as it was about the supernatural and organized religion i don't disagree with that but i feel like that maybe makes puts it in too neater terms religion is the opiate of the masses or kind of reckoning with with your mental health against a backdrop of religion like what it's not explicit at all it's just the experiences he goes through and meeting the devil and the questions around that obviously people don't believe him he's a minister all the complexities with that and his state of mind and where he gets to it's tricky because he's not doing okay but also he's very with it but then you're reading his testament from his perspective which is why the use of the epilogue is really interesting when it you're you've been in this journey the whole time and then suddenly you're out of it and it's other people talking about him yeah and there's there's a line in it which is which is about religion and madness and the sort of intersect of that which is for what is religion if not a kind of madness and what is madness without a touch of religion almost feels like you're walking alongside him throughout the whole tale yeah so whilst there's ambiguity and confusion you feel like he's such a steady presence yeah that you're just with him throughout all of it which is interesting because obviously he's a minister and that's what a minister especially in a small community is supposed to do yeah and it taps into those ideas about how that's changing as like society becomes more secular yeah and what the role of the church has in that and there's another line which is i can't remember it word for word but he's saying that he doesn't feel the feelings he yeah. just can show he can pretend that he's feeling the feelings yeah like he can be a good minister not because he believes in god but because to be a good minister you actually don't need to well it's quite interesting did you ever read elaine de botton's religion for atheists no it kind of i mean obviously it's non-fiction but it really explores a similar thing of what what actually is religion when we come down to the heart of it forget god forget the things that you have to believe in above and beyond the everyday what it is is it's in his mind it should be and can be used for non-religious practice by pulling on this kind of idea of community yeah which is exactly being together why he decides to follow in his father's steps eventually like after uni decides to do that and that's quite a big part of it yeah i think it it sounds almost a bit fantastical but it's not it's just not it's very like life and very relatable and there's one bit 
um, he's talking about when he's at uni. It's not particularly like beautiful language. Mm -hmm. He's not done anything crazy. It's not that like me or you couldn't write that. Yeah. But it's the fact he did and it's so succinct and I feel like it nails the feeling. So I'm going to read it out because it, it seems silly that out of a book with such like fascinating things happen, I've picked this, but I just like it. Walking through a deserted city in the hours before dawn is sobering way beyond the undoing of the effects of alcohol. Everything is familiar and everything is strange. It's as if you are the only survivor of some mysterious calamity which has emptied the place of its population. And yet you know that behind the shuttered and curtained windows, people lie sleeping in their tens of thousands and all their joys and disasters lie sleeping too. It makes you think of your own life, usually suspended at that hour, and how you're passing through it as if in a dream. Reality seems very unreal. And I don't know if it's just because I have been in that situation many, many times. She's a sick lad, she does all-nighters. <laughs> but that is exactly how it feels. And I've, I've even said, quote-unquote, it feels like you're the survivor of a mysterious calamity. But then that's paired with the fact that there's a whole world going on. Yeah. So, yeah, it's hands down one of the best books I've ever read. I like that. Another book, um, which is also religious. And another one. <laughs> other religious themes, and it's The Good Man Jesus and The Scoundrel Christ by Philip Pullman. Philip Pullman is one of my favourite writers. I just think he's fantastic. He wrote The Golden Compass. Yes. Yeah. Well, he wrote Northern Lights. Camilla, you work at publishing. Jesus Christ. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I read weird books as a kid. I didn't read Harry Potter. I didn't read any Phil Philip Pullman. Uh, it's really a miracle that I got here to <laughs> publishing. You should, you should really read um, his dark materials because they are exceptional. Yeah. Just so, so good. And then the Book of Dust series, which he's doing now, and he's got the last one of that to release, are exceptional and i love philip pullman i always have he's a great writer as well that he'll take you he'll carry you through a story in in relatively simple language but creates such a vision and a setting and a feeling yeah he's a master storyteller and in this book which i don't know maybe because i was younger when it came out but i've never really heard people talk that much about it and it's fantastic it's just so so clever mm. that's the other thing about philip pullman i just the way his mind works is just like yes sir yes so this is a reimagining of the new testament mm -hmm. it's like an allegorical retelling of the christian story where mary gives birth to twins and so the firstborn is jesus and the secondborn is christ mm. and christ is a kind of weak almost feeble very introspective character which is mary's favorite and Jesus is very strong, quiet, and calm. And so, yeah, it goes through, like, lots of different of the classic, classic biblical tales. But it's just really interesting to see how you can take a story you know, or maybe you don't, but I feel like a lot of people do know, at least the basics of the biblical stories. And the way he writes it, you almost, you don't know what's going to happen, but as soon as it, as soon as he's weaved it together, you're yeah. like, ah. And it works. All of it works. So it's just really clever yeah. in how he's done it. Yeah, so it's Christ who is really impressed by his brother's oratory and moral passions, mm -hmm. poses the three satanic questions in the desert for oh, the 40 yeah. days and 40 nights. Okay. So it's him. So you've got this duality of Jesus, which is really, really interesting. And then in the prodigal son story, Christ knows Jesus is 
sort of like playing with him is the timid mean-spirited stay-at-home older brother so it's like a family dynamic as well okay. and like yeah in in a similar way to Gideon Mack I mean in Gideon Mack and in this there is handling of big issues but it's more the sort of after effects of what's happening that you're yeah. thinking about you end up thinking and spinning out and going oh and on from that and on from that and on from that which is why it's so interesting and sort of stimulating yeah but they're both very human as well. This is just such a human mm-hmm. telling of it. Yeah. Which is part of why I think it's so profound and has such an impact. One line I really like from it is, human life is difficult. There are profundities and compromises and mysteries that look to the innocent eye like betrayal. Um, that sounds really, really interesting. Might have to give that a read as well. God damn, my to-be-read pile is getting big <laughs> for 2021. I am reading quite quickly, but I am also buying a lot of books. I know. I'm not even buying books anymore. People are buying them for... I'm not even buying them anymore. Wow. People that was a low-key flex. Come Valentine's Day, there'll be flowers on one side and books on the other. Oh, a dream world. How did that lemon squash go down, Al? Really nice. It has actually revived me a little bit. <laughs> Caveat, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. I do feel better than I did at the start, though, so mm-hmm. that's, that's good. I just love lemon. I love apples and I love lemon. <laughs> I love lemon. The scotch has gone down nicely. You can have a hot toddy. I don't know what that's that is. That's what makes you... <gasps> you drink whiskey and you don't know what a hot toddy is. It's going to be something stupid, isn't it? What is it? No, when you're ill, you have lemon, honey, whiskey, and a dash of warm water. And it makes you feel right as rain. It literally does. Is it because you're drunk? I appreciate them putting other things in that to make it more like medicine, when in reality, you're just numbing the pain with ethanol. but alcohol is medicine in moderation. (laughs) It is. And in excess. (laughs) Um, Two very different types of medicine. Yeah, no, this is great. So Glenn Levitt found his reserve. Single malt scotch whiskey. This is the American Oak selection. That's the barrel. We had a, like a celebratory end of dry jam dinner on the first. Um, and I was, yeah, I don't think I felt much better for not drinking for a month. But I'll tell you what, I felt very weird being a bit drunk. I was like, I am hyper aware of everything moving in slow motion. See, I didn't get a bit drunk, so I still... That's because you're not didn't. a lightweight like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was quite pissed after one tiny glass of champagne or Prosecco even. Ah, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Drink. What have you disliked? I am disliking the fact that I need a haircut. I'm determined to get my curly wavy hair back, which disappeared during lockdown one and hasn't reappeared. So my hair is just as frizzy, but now doesn't have the character it used to. I'm really bored of it. And I've decided that maybe if I just get a really good haircut and chop off all the dead ends, it will come back. However, the the danger of this is that I do that, it doesn't, and I just hate my hair even more. I think you should get a pixie cut. If I was thin, I would, but I'm not going to do that to myself because I was going to say I just wouldn't leave the house, but that's kind or of what's already going on. a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's already one mullet in my life. I don't need another. That's true. There really is only space for one mullet in all of our lives. I don't have a mullet in my life, so if you've got a mullet, I've got an opening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that just... Uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> I've heard that back now. And um, if you've got a mullet, I definitely don't have an opening in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> got a filthy mind. Oh, my dislike this week is that I broke my three-month streak of remembering to cancel my Freddy's Flowers order 
before they delivered it and took £25 out of my bank account every week. And I had three months where I remembered. I remembered. Well, you had a conversation. You were like, you should get your account back. Yeah. And, just freeze it. and I was like, no, I don't want to Do run you know that what it is? It's because every time I call them to be like, look, I love your flowers. Freddie's flowers are, they're amazing. They're yeah. great flowers. And great value. And great value. But I do not have £25 a week. What's even better is the box that arrived are just filled with flowers that Camilla hates. <laughs> Honestly, it's like rubbing salt in the wound. It's a bunch of yellow lilies. I feel like I'm at my own funeral. <laughs> yellow lilies? Bright yellow. I think the arrangement is called yellow submarine. <laughs> I feel like somebody with bad taste has done the flowers for my funeral because they hate me. Is it me? <laughs> <laughs> Might be by the end of this lockdown. Um, oh god, that was threatening. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what what's annoyed me. And do you know what? I call them and I'm like, I really love your flowers, but I need to cancel my subscription because every week I forget, and every week you charge me twenty five pounds automatically and give me beautiful flowers. <laughs> And I can't complain because it's my fault. And every time I call them, I get a very charming, very attractive sounding man on the phone yep. who convinces me. They definitely do that deliberately. They definitely do that deliberately. And he convinces me every single time to just keep my subscription. And this time they'll send me reminders. So on Valentine's Day, I'm going to have a pile of flowers on the doorstep, but it's not going to have anything <laughs> It will be to me forgetting to cancel my flower subscription. We have nice flowers. We didn't need more flowers. And... I don't like the flowers. <laughs> I quite like them. I think they brighten the kitchen up. I like it when we have a bunch in the living room and a bunch in the kitchen. Do you want to pay um, for the flowers? <laughs> no, because I cleverly disabled my account. Oh, I'm so weak. I need to get you to call on my behalf. <laughs> right, well, as you can see, we've kept our sanity really well. In the intermission between season one and season two. But thank you for joining us for a new season. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Um, in the meantime, I'll post all the books that we've talked about in this episode in the description. And you can find the covers, pictures of the books, general lifestyle photography uh, and <laughs> other humorous content on our Instagram page. And all of our social media links will be Take in the description. <laughs> no breath required. I'm a talking machine. Au revoir. If you've enjoyed listening to Pros Before Hoes, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Otherwise, we'll have no idea.